We're in Revelation chapter number 5 this morning. I love the Bible. It has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. The fact of the matter is, it's been part of my life longer than I can remember. From my earliest days in Sunday school to the seventh grade when I read it from cover to cover for the first time to the present day, its pages and its truths have meant more in my life than I could ever possibly express. I love the book. I have to admit that some parts of the book are more special to me than other parts of the book. Revelation chapter number 4 and 5 are in that very special category to me. I don't have a very good imagination. I don't know about you, but my biblical imagination is not very good. And so a lot of the pieces of prophecy, I can't get to come up in my mind. What does this actually look like? But in Revelations 4 and 5, the scene is there, that there is very clear. And I don't know about you, but when I read it, that scene calls to my heart. As far as a man can know his own heart, I think that I can say that there is no event that I would rather experience on, in heaven or in earth than what is recorded for us in this chapter. I desire to see this firsthand more than anything else that could be offered to me. From this chapter, I was actually introduced to the real, my first real understanding of worship a long time ago from a song that was taken from this very scene. We'll just read the entire, won't go to four and five, we'll just read the, enti the entire chapter number five this morning, envision this as we read. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open, to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he'd taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our king, sorry, unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. What a passage of scripture. Now we could go in a whole variety of directions from this passage this morning. But there is one thing that runs as through, one theme that runs through this, that gripped my heart in a special way this week. Verse number 6 says, and I, be, and be, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Then verse number 9 and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. So thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And verse number 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Title of this morning's message, In This broken lamb in this broken lamb let's pray father we cannot do what's necessary here but you can and you have given your spirit to do the work that's necessary and so we ask that this morning there would be no hindrance to his work that our hearts would be in tune with thee and that you would, by your Spirit, do a work worthy of your own name. Lord, there are so many needs in this auditorium. I could not begin to meet even one. But you could meet all of our needs without any difficulty. For the Lord Jesus has already purchased what we need. And so it is in his name that we ask these things, knowing that you hear our prayers. And we thank you in advance for what you do in each heart and each life. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to start this off in a very strange way. Don't get lost in the strangeness of it. Stick with me and I hope that it will be a help to you. In Iowa today, there are two main ways that animals die. The first way that animals die in Iowa is that a hunter shoots them. Now, I have never been much of a hunter. Nothing against them, but there's just been ne never anything about it that really interested me. And I've never been hungry enough to be compelled to be interested. So I have done almost no hunting. But Early in the morning, in the fall, normally when I'm sitting at, in my office at home studying, I hear the guns begin to shoot. And I know that duck season, it must be a certain time of the day, it must be right at dawn or something. There's a certain time because they all go off at once. And it's duck season has opened. 
when I drive across, coming to church, I drive across the river bridge. There will almost always, in fact, this morning there was a half a dozen cars, I think, along the road parked there. The owners of those vehicles are all down in the bottoms searching for their quarry. In Iowa, it is one of the ways that animals die. The second way that animals die is very obvious to everyone. They get hit by cars. Between hunting and cars hitting them, I don't know that any animal in Iowa, wild animal in Iowa, lives to die of old age. But if I had to guess, I would say there are more animals killed by cars than by hunters. There's probably not a day in the year that goes by that there's not at least a half a dozen dead animals along the road between my house and here. It isn't a pleasant sight. I suppose that many of you are like me. When I see one of these animals that's been hit along the road, I look the other way. I shield my eyes so that I don't have to look at the poor mangled carnage of that broken body laying along the road. I think all of us understand this. Now when we understand something, it is useful in helping us understand something that we don't quite get. In this passage of scripture, three times the Lord Jesus is referred to as a lamb that was slain, an animal that had been killed. Now, when we think of the animals killed in Iowa and the, and the lamb that was slain, we find one stark contrast between the animals killed in Iowa and the lamb that was slain. The contrast that we see is that the animals do not choose to die. The hunter goes out to hunt, and he has to use all of his wits about him. For if he makes one mistake, the animal will use that to get away to preserve his life. The animals that die on the road do not do so intentionally. They do not understand the danger that they face when they get on the highway. Even the squirrels, who seem suicidal, they haven't made, I don't know what's in them, they haven't made, and then they second-guess their own decision and try to go back and get killed. None of them do this on purpose. They would live if they had the chance. Their desire is to live. But when we think about the lamb who was slain, he came to deliberately die. It wasn't a mistake. He didn't just not understand the danger that he was in. He didn't just not, was not un, unable to outthink his opponent. He came to deliberately die. 
And this is hard, an easy thing to say, but a really a hard thing to get our mind to wrap around. He was a lamb that was slain. Now, how did this lamb in Revelation 4 that was slain, how did he die? I don't mean to be graphic this morning, but I think we can be helped if we see this a little more clearly. We all understand an animal that's shot and dies, and we all understand an animal that is killed by getting hit on the highway. We understand that. But let me ask you this. Which way more typically depicts how the Lord died? Now think about this. If I were an animal, I would want to live, and I would do everything that I could to live. But if I had to die, I would much rather be shot. I see these poor animals who have been hit by a car, lying in misery in a broken state, gasping out their last. And I think that is a very difficult way to go, to be broken like that. Think about the Lord Jesus. In which way was the lamb slain? Was it a quick, merciful death or a broken body full of misery? Tonight is our monthly communion service. And I think about this every single time that we take communion. One of the ushers, when we serve the bread, I'll ask one of the deacons to ask the Lord to bless the symbol of his body. We're getting ready to eat the bread. And the deacon will bless, ask the Lord to bless the symbol of his body. And then we read the, Lord's, the words of the Lord recorded in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. This is my body which is broken. This is my body which is broken for you. Then we take that symbol and we put it in our mouth and grind it to pieces. This is a symbol of the Lord's body. And bread was ground up before it was into bread and then ground up after and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And as much as we like to avert our eyes from these broken things, is this a symbol that you would choose to have depicted of your life and your death? This broken bread? This is my body which is broken for you. The carcass of an animal that is broken along the highway. We look away not wanting to see what their ignorance costs them.
my friends, Jesus Christ was broken willingly for you. This is a very difficult thing to get our mind to quite wrap around. He was broken for you. Now our natural tendency is to look away, to try to clean up the scene in our mind so it's not so horrific. Instead of doing that this morning, let's see what we can find in looking in this broken lamb. What can we see in this broken lamb? Number one, in this broken lamb, I find the real price of sin. In this broken lamb, I find the real price of sin. I think everybody here, I think everybody in the world understands that sin has some price tag. If you commit some quote-unquote heinous crime, they lock you in a box for 15 to 25 years of your life for committing that particular sin. If you don't do certain things at work, or you do certain things at work, they fire you, and that is the price for what you did. If you participate in certain activities, you may get ill or you may get a disease, and that is the price for that activity, for that sin. If you get caught doing certain things, you lose your friends. If you are rude or obnoxious or petty or sharp or tiresome or you get angry, people get upset and it may make your life difficult for a while. We all understand that sin has some price tag. For most people, the price tag on the big sins is just too high. We don't want to be locked in a box for the next 15 years of our life, so we stay away from those kinds of things. For some of the, we'll call middle range sins, people will assess the possible problems versus the possible cost versus the possible reward and make a decision. The smaller ones we play with. We figure that the price we have to pay is worth it. It's only going to cost me this amount. If I get angry, it's going to cost me this, and okay, it's worth it for the time. But my friend, this is very false reasoning. We are only counting the immediate price that sin demands. We are not counting the true cost. We are looking only at the down payment on the sin, not the real price. It is in the broken lamb that we find the real price of sin. The lamb of God was sinless, without spot and without blemish. This lamb was the son of God. Jesus Christ lived on this earth for 33 years, never sinning. He had no debt to pay. So why do we find him broken and bleeding? And the answer to that is, in the Garden of Gethsemane, your sin was placed on him. 
he was declared guilty for all of your deeds. And Isaiah 53 tells us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now I challenge you this morning, look at the drops of blood that he sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane and tell me your sin is no big deal. Look at the bruises from the beatings and excuse your pride. Listen to the lashes of the cat of nine tails as they scourge him and declare that your bitterness is acceptable. Watch as they tear his beard out and say that your sharp tongue is okay. See in your mind's eye as they place the cross on the Lord's back and then defend your apathetic attitude. Hear the hammer blows as they drive the nails in his hands and make light of the things that you've been doing on the internet. As the spear pierces his lifeless body, try to make light of your sin. His body was broken for that sin. And in the broken, in this broken lamb, you can see the real price of sin. Number two, in this broken lamb, you can see the real love of God. In this broken lamb, you can see or you can find the real love of God. Kelly's been home this week. She's home for Thanksgiving. We didn't have a whole lot of time for Thanksgiving because we've been working feverishly on her wedding, trying to build the things for her wedding. My hands are full of splinters and scars. My knee hurts because I slipped with a crowbar and whacked my kneecap with a crowbar. And my whole body aches from getting up and down off of the floor. I'm not as young as I used to be. It's been kind of a rough week. We'll just put it that way. I'm tired. Why am I doing it? Well, one, I do love her. Two, it's part of my responsibility. I am father of the bride. Three, it's the only way to keep a wedding at reasonable cost. Yeah. <laughs> In spite of those three reasons, I have found myself doing some grumbling. I'm tired of being tired. I'm wanting to get this work done. And I've been nursing my wounds like a baby. In reality, I have only been doing what is expected of me. But when you see the broken lamb, what exactly do you see there? Do you find him only fulfilling his obligation? My friends, he had no obligation. Do you find him only bleeding for a close friend? 
No, he is dying for those who despise and reject him. He is dying for his enemy, as it were. Do not shield your eyes. Do not avert your gaze. Look at the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Look at those wounds. See that broken body. For it is in the, la the broken lamb you will see true love. You will see love, the love that God has for you. Not because you were so wonderful. Not because you had so much to offer. Not because of the promise of your future. God had chosen to set his affection on you, worthless as you are. And this is the price of that love. It is in this broken lamb you find the real price of sin, but in this broken lamb you find the real love of God. Number three, in the broken lamb, I find the real attitude of the world. In this broken lamb, I find the real attitude of the world. In the United States, over the past 200 years, our laws and our heritage have given us a false perception of the world's view of Jesus Christ. Our money has a phrase on it, in God we trust. We see churches in almost every community we see crosses and religious symbols all around us. In our grandparents' day, a huge percentage of the people attended religious services regularly. The fact of the matter is, when I started here 30-some years ago, Southeast Polk did not even give homework on Wednesday night so the kids could go to church. Try to wrap your mind around that little nugget. Our laws prevent persecution and discrimination on all of these things have lulled us into a false impression of what the world really thinks of Jesus Christ. The fact that his name has been used as a cuss word for all of that time should have been a hint to us. But we need no further proof of what the world thinks of Jesus Christ than one look at this broken lamb. The world system is not a friend of Jesus Christ and never will be. The powers that be have never loved him and nor even tolerated him. They oftentimes find themselves unable to act against him as they would, but when they can, and when they have the opportunity to do so, Look at the broken lamb and you will see the intent of their heart. It is not a heart of admiration. It is not a heart of toleration. It is not a heart of sympathy. Crucify him. Crucify him. Was, is, and always will be their cry. Why are we so surprised when the world goes against God? Have they not been cursing his name down through time? If you will look at the broken lamb, you will see 
what the world really thinks. In this broken lamb, you'll see the real price of sin. You'll see the real love of God. In this broken lamb, you will find the real attitude of the world towards him. And number four, in this broken lamb, I find the real definition of my service. In this broken lamb, I find the real definition of service. Dave Borden and I were talking this week. He stayed in the prophet's chamber for the last week, and so he and I had several conversations. One of the conversations we had is, what is it like being a Christian in America versus a Christian in Cambodia? Now, I will not bore you with a repetition of that conversation. But ask yourself, what is it like to be a Christian in America? What is it like to be a Christian in America, and what should it look like? What is it, and what should it be? We have an abundance of money. So we throw a little of our excess toward the Lord's work. Because of all the conveniences of life, we have an abundance of discretionary time. So we throw a little of it toward the work of God. The reality is for the average American who's a Christian, there is very little discomfort in our service and almost nothing that could be described as sacrifice. And the question is, how can that be? Did not the Lord say, take up your cross and follow me? Did he not say in Matthew 10, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master? How do we justify what we call service with what we see in the broken lamb? The Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And we say, well, that makes sense. That, that matches up. And I have to ask, how do we stand in our shiny full armor of God like we're on a parade ground, polished and shining? How do we stand in that? Where are the battle wounds? Where are the scars? Where is the damage done from combat? How is it that the world hated Jesus Christ, our master, enough to crucify him, and yet they find no real problem with us? Can our master be covered in blood while we stand by with lily-white hands? Does the fact that we can take it easy give us the right to do so? you realize we're not the first to have contemplated these questions. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? 
That's what the hymn writer asked, and then he answers his own question. No, there's a cross for everyone, and there is a cross for me. Another hymn writer writes this. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Are we soldiers? Are we standing here with no battle damage at all? When we look at the broken lamb and we compare ourselves with that, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. How do we justify our lives? Look closely at this broken lamb. Does your daily attitude match that? Look closely at this broken lamb. Does your use of time match does your use of resources match? Does your commitment match? It is in the broken lamb that you find your definition of service. It's natural for us to look away from scenes of pain and misery. Do not do so with Jesus Christ. For in this broken lamb, you will find the real price of sin you will find the real love of God. You will find the real attitude of the world, and you will find your real definition of service. Have you seen what you should in this broken lamb? Let's pray.